Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for April 1st, 2010. I'm going to go around the table and introduce the panel. We have Mr. Jeff Simpson. Welcome, Jeff. Greetings, guys. We have Mr. Harry Pimple from the Las Vegas Visor. Welcome to the show, Harry. Hi, how you doing, guys? <laughs> and Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hi. Uh, my name's Hunter Hilligus, and I'm at RateVegas.com. Um, thanks, everybody, for being here. We have been on uh, hiatus for a bit, um, but we're back. Uh, April Fool's Day seems like a, a good a day as any to discuss. Um, I, you know, uh, it's a pretty common thing on the internet to see websites do uh, do jokes for Fool's Day, and um, uh, Chuck, uh, you've got a pretty funny one on your site today, which was actually, I think, got a few people. You had a, a story about Vidara turning the Silk Road restaurant into a non-smoking Asian high-limit gaming parlor, which I actually thought was really clever, because I... As, I, this happens to me every single year, where I'll read these things and I'll kind of go, "Oh, that's weird. I wouldn't have expected that." And I'm like, "Oh, wait, hold on a second. So you had me going for a second as I was reading your post. So I guess that's the mark of a successful uh, joke. Well, we took a couple of years off from doing the uh, from doing the uh, the April Fool's thing, and every year in those two two years we haven't done it. Uh, I, I get really upset because I love April Fool's Day. It's one of my favorite days of the year. You know, and just because a handful of boneheads don't have a sense of humor, there's no reason why it shouldn't spoil having a little creative fun for the rest of us. Yeah. Well, I haven't done one for a while, but there was a couple of years ago uh, I did one where I said that I had uh, was being folded into the Wynn Resorts PR operation, and actually some other people um, who will remain nameless picked it up as a news item, which uh, <laughs> is always funny. Um, yeah, that's, and those that's part of what get <laughs> so, Yeah, the Kardashian one was the best. <laughs> All right. My wife thought of that one. <laughs> anyway, I like that you spelled uh, it with K. That's my yeah. Kardashian <laughs> plus. That's like one of my pet peeves. All the pre- the nursery schools that spell oh, school I, with a K. So yeah, very nice it, there. It's corner. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. Well, it um it's a fun it's a fun excuse to kind of make up some some news. Actually, Dave, I saw you even kind of gave a slight homage in your uh blog post today. Um and uh now I can't remember exactly what you said, but uh Yeah, wait a second, I'll tell you if I could remember. Yeah. He doesn't well, remember. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, he talked about, about oxygen, hours ago. Oxygen being pumped into the casino. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I would have just let that stand, but honestly, I've been getting so many calls about casino carpet and people saying, so you did this very serious study of it, and I'm just saying, <laughs> well, you know that whole thing was really tongue-in-cheek. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not the carpet. It's the customer service and kind of everything in the games themselves that, that's the important thing. So that's that's just why I threw that in there. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a fun day to... Uh make fun of uh, ridiculous uh, ideas, and uh, there were some good ones. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna, I want oh, – Hunter, just yeah, this one last thing. There was another thing that I had posted today uh, about Daniel Balud. That originally had started as an April Fool's joke 
was the the joke was going to be that Gordon Ramsay was going to replace uh, Daniel Balud, and we had the scoop on that. But I, I actually did check to the dates to see when they were closing, so it turned into an actual news story <laughs> that uh, you know they're they're ceasing taking reservations effective the thirty first. Whether or not that's the exact hard date, we you know who knows. But uh, DVB is SOL. Yes. Well, too bad that they'll be departing, but uh, I'm sure there'll get be something good in that space. Um, before we get into um, high-watt high casino punditry, um, I wanted to quickly talk about the Apple iPad. Um, the Apple iPad is, uh, in case you live under a rock, is a new device from the fruit company that will be coming out uh, on Saturday. Um, a couple things regarding the iPad. First, uh, as I will shamelessly pimp my wares, um, I have done a version of Vegas Mate for the iPad uh, that takes advantage of the bigger screen and the additional capabilities that will be available um, starting Saturday with the launch of the device. So um, if you are a fan of giving me $2, um, go over to the App Store and purchase it. Uh, in addition, um, I am doing a contest on my blog um, that will run, I think, uh, till May something if May 5th or something like that. Uh, I can't remember exactly. May 6th is when the contest ends. And basically it works like this. If you submit a review uh, or rating of something in Las Vegas that we cover, that basically means hotels, the restaurants inside them, nightclubs, and shows, um, either through the RateVegas.com website or through the Vegas Mate iPhone app or actually the iPad app after it ships, I'll, I will give you, I'm giving you away an iPad for someone that uh, randomly is selected. So um, go ahead and submit your reviews and somebody's going to win. So um, it'll be a fun prize. And uh, actually you can, if you'd rather have a Apple gift credit, that's fine too. If you don't like the iPad or already have one or whatever, uh, you can fix something else. But, um, yeah, so go submit your reviews and uh, maybe win an iPad. Does and, you know, it's interesting. No, go ahead, Chuck. Does this include the uh, 3G service for one year? It includes um, goodwill for one year. Uh, <laughs> I wish you luck for one year. Um, no, it, it, you are on your own for the uh, for any additional charters. Um, I, you know, the iPad is interesting. Yeah. Sorry? I'm sorry. Are there are there minimum requirements for the review, or can I write a PHP cron script that's just going <laughs> to bolt out uh, it sucks into every single hole in your database? Yeah. So actually, there there I did a blog post that explains the rules um, that I will link to in the show notes. Uh, they're pretty simple, basically, and I, I kind of leave it a little bit open ended. Don't submit bogus reviews. Uh, and I get to decide what is and isn't a bogus review. And, you know, honestly, it's usually very, very easy to um, determine what is a real review and what isn't. Uh, I get a lot of bogus re spam reviews that don't I don't publish. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to say that since I posted this about a week ago, I've had a great response so far. People are really getting into it, getting some great reviews and some reviews for some places that I haven't been, which is always fun to read. So, um, so far a big success, but there's still uh, about a month left in the contest. So um, please hop on there and, and submit your reviews. You have to live in the U.S. or Canada uh, to be eligible. 
Um, but that's about it. And as long as they're legit reviews, um, you know, feel free. I encourage everybody to enter. And you can enter as many times as you want. Uh, you basically one entry per review. So, um, you know, if you've got a lot to say about different places, uh, go ahead. Uh, you might win something. So, you know, the iPad's interesting. We'll see if it is a big, as big a success as um, the Apple hopes it will be. And I'm actually curious to see if it has any impact on the gaming industry long term. Um, I I would say the iPhone hasn't really had a huge impact yet. I still think that it – I think smartphones will um, impact even more than they have. I think uh, they're definitely – as a segment of the population that's starting to use – um, apps like Vegas Mate, but also things like Foursquare and Gowalla and Twitter uh, while they're on vacation to get information about, uh, you know, things that they might not know about and that sort of thing. I think that's only going to increase when we see companies like Harris um, with their own iPhone app. I think you'll see more of that, and the iPad may accelerate that. We, we shall see. It'll be very interesting to see if it does have any impact. Um, and of course, I can guarantee you that, give, that given it sort of an intersection of two of my interests, if it does have an impact, I will bring this topic up again in the future. So um, we will see uh, how it does. All right. Um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about since the last time we did a show. Um, we'll sort of jump around here. I think I'm going to start with the station and um, their proposed plan. Um, the company uh, is in bankruptcy, and um, they had a, uh, a deadline to, pr to produce a plan for you know how they would see the company moving forward, um, which basically uh, split the company <clears throat> into a couple pieces. Actually, maybe Jeff, are you in a position to summarize what they sure. proposed? Yeah, this is uh, <clears throat> at least one of the most likeliest scenarios that I can foresee is that this is really uh, sort of like Casino Monte um, <laughs> with only uh, a couple of cups. And um, what Station is proposing in its reorganization plan is that they would keep sort of their uh, their first four big Las Vegas casinos, Palace Station, Boulder Station, or not their first four, but four of their first five. Palace, Boulder, Sunset, and uh, Red Rock. Actually, Red Rock is their most recent, but they wouldn't keep Texas of their original of their original four, um, and uh, they'd also keep Wild Wild West plus the big development parcel around Wild Wild West. So that's a given that they would keep that. Um, they would throw in, um, you know, a, a decent chunk of change. I forget exactly how much. I think it was a little less than a hundred million. Um, and uh, they would take, I think, about a 44% equity position, col or 46. Colony would get shaved down to 4%, which um, is a really big shave. And then the uh, the creditors, the mortgage holders, would get the other half. Um, plus, they would also get, um, they'd also be holding a note for another, I think it's 1.6 billion, something like that. Um, but then all the rest of the properties, um, Texas Station, the two Fiestas, Santa Fe Station, all the Greenspun half-owned properties, which are Aliante, Green Valley Ranch, and then a few, and then three little small Henderson joints, um, a couple other wildfires, the Indian Gaming Contract in California, 
the the land parcel around Palace Station um, and a couple other development parcels along the Beltway um, and and uh, um, a bit and in Inspirata as well as Reno and some California tribal gaming land. All of that would be sold according to their plan in one block. Um, I, I forgot to mention that Station would also keep. Um, a development parcel just south of the South Point um, that would be a that could be a locals casino on Las Vegas Boulevard at Cactus. Um, so the plan is that the bankruptcy court would conduct an auction for this other big block of um, twelve Nevada casinos plus a management contract plus land, um, and. If they did, if the court approves and does what Station wants and sell it, sells it in a piece, that would happen. The judge could also, you know, uh, follow the plan but sell them individually, auction them individually, or he could group them into like-minded, you know, like like groups, or or he could just not follow the plan and do something else or ask Station to come up with another idea. Um, so that's that's what. Um, the setup is. Um, I think that the people um, that I've talked to in the industry, um, they think a couple a couple things are likely if the judge approves the plan, which is a big if. Um, if the judge approves the plan and sells them as a block, I think Boyd is considered to be the likeliest bidder. Um, outside shot at someone maybe like Harris coming in. Um, but I think uh, the other ones that have been mentioned, just too too extensive, too big, and too varied of a portfolio to interest many others. Um, conceivably, Penn National, but probably not. And because you get almost guaranteed have interest in those parcels from Boyd, it's probably priced out of or would be popped by an offer from Boyd. So that Icon, you know, Icon is a is a bottom feeder and and so he's probably going to be priced out of any purchase um but the other likely bidder is is station itself um right. even though even though their bank the company's bankrupt the fertitas are not and they have a a very um significant partner it's a, I, i'm not sure how likely colony is going to want to throw is to throw more good money after bad but deutsche bank which you know is in the casino business uh, with both, you know both feet um, with the Cosmopolitan Deutsche Bank. You know they have access to a lot of capital, and they may, you know, realize that at this at the prices that these casinos will sell for relative to what they were worth, you know, just two years, three years ago, Deutsche Bank may back Station in its own attempt to purchase those properties back. So. The likeliest scenario that you know that I see is either Boyd gets them, or Station gets them, or I guess, and the other option will be the judge just you know wants something else. But those are the two likeliest things, and uh, you know, either, so if Boyd gets it, you'd see a flipping in the market where Boyd is now the dominant locals player in Las Vegas, with Station taking over. Um, Boyd's current spot is the clear number two. Um, right. If if Station wins the properties, it's pretty much status quo. Except you know the Boyds have flopped with or flipped positions with Colony and have become the uh, dominant owner of the company with uh, relatively uh, little debt. So that's so, that's the upshot. 
here, here's what I don't understand. Why would Colony sign on to a plan like this? They're taking this huge haircut. They put a ton of money into this privatization, and now they're coming out of it with almost nothing. Well, because they are, they have been unwilling to put more money in. Colony is like under immense pressure all around, um, all around the world. Although they've put another fund together that's looking around in Las Vegas. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Colony might come back in. But um, you know, Colony um, apparently, based on on the filings, just it wants to limit its exposure here. The the Fertitas have already put more money in. Um, into this company um, since the bankruptcy process, you know, started or right when it was about to start um, in an attempt to appease um, some of their bondholders. And according, you know, according to this, they're throwing in another 80 or 90 uh, million, which isn't that much. But, um, you know, Colony must just be uh, cutting its losses. I can't really speculate beyond that. I mean, Colony, you know, Tom Barrick, actually, the guy that runs Colony Capital, actually lives here in Santa Barbara. And, and um, <clears throat> it just, you know, it, uh, if, if, I can't, they've seemed to have had quite a few misses in the last few years. I mean, granted, you know, the economy turned upside down, but man. Well, anybody who threw, anybody who threw tens of billions of dollars into the real estate market in the middle of the last decade, is looking pretty bad right now, and you know yeah. they're they're one of them. Yeah. Ha, so, um, well, it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if Boyd can get any traction here and pick these assets up. I mean, obviously, you know they've been singing that tune for a while, trying to uh, you know pick up some properties here and there. I think it's I think it's funny that you know that we may end up with an, um, a reconstituted company. Where the Fertitas like end up even better off than they were before. Well, that's absolutely true, um, and that's I think that's highly likely if the judge follows the plan or follows the proposal and sells them in a block. If he sells them piecemeal, um, it may be difficult for Station to you know they have obviously the best knowledge of what those properties worth is. They obviously acquired them all because they liked them. Um, but if it's, they're sold piecemeal, it may be more easy for the boys to sort of cherry pick and uh, pick, you know, maybe the Greenspun components where there's already some acrimony between the uh, Fertitas and Greenspuns, presumably. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not positive that that's true, but my hunch is that if it's sold piecemeal, um, you know, the boys have said they'd like to buy the whole thing. It probably makes it easy for them to do it if Station doesn't go whole hog into an, a per, into a purchase attempt. But my hunch is that Station proposed a lump sum purchase because that will dissuade all but the most committed buyers. And, you know, they obviously would like to get it for cheap. Um, and they may feel that they can raise more money for a purchase of those properties they know very well than Boyd can. Um, so, you know, the judge is really going to make the, you know, the first important call or calls um, as to whether he accepts the sale terms and does it um, and block. Any chance that uh, Greenspun's would want to bid for their other 50% in the two properties that they partner? You know, just and I have no knowledge from my term of employment with them about, you know, what their inside strategy is. Just as an outside observer, I would say that um, the Greenspun's 
Um, you know, I doubt that they would be. I doubt that they are in the fiscal position to, you know, buy half of those casinos compared with what Boyd would likely pay for that half or somebody else would. I do know that, um, and they said on the record that they like Boyd Gaming and considered Boyd Gaming when it came time to um, award you know, their other, their other big partner, their second big partnership in Aliante, but, you know, they had a good relationship at the time with the Fertitas. Um, I think the Greenspuns would, would probably have, you know, um, you know, will have some say so because they'd be partnering and it might take an agreement with them to make, to smooth that sale out. But, you know, I think a Boyd purchase probably would not displease the Greens funds, and that's, like I said, based totally on my outside speculation. I'm curious, yeah. uh, guys, uh, what, what your opinion might be on, on how this would affect other things in the Boyd pipeline, i.e. the MGM Mirage that tour of Borgata and the Echelon Project and some other things that they're working Well, Borgata... They they undoubtedly want half of Borgata, and you know I think they're just waiting to see. You know when you when you have a right of first per, first refusal, as I believe they do, you might as well keep your powder dry until some some offers materialize. I mean, if you remember when the uh, New Jersey Casino Control Commission yanked Tropicana from the Youngs, um, at first people were talking about a billion dollars for that for that joint. And, uh, you know, as the price, as time dragged on and the price dropped lower and lower, you know, anyone who had made like a tentative offer, a partial offer, you know, compared to what, you know, looks sort of foolish compared to, to what, um, icon ended up paying for it, which was peanuts. Um, in this case, why bargain against yourself? Let somebody else come up and come out, put up a serious offer and then Boyd can match it if it chooses um, you know, this isn't a market where people are going to be going high with um, partnership offers. So, um, you know, it just it, it's going to be interesting. But I, I, I do expect Boyd to remain interested in Borgata. They're probably expecting the price to be a lot less than it would have been, you know, a couple of years ago. They do have the money, but they don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to be premature. And they probably also want to keep their resources available for the uh, locals market here that they also know well. Um, as far as Echelon, you know, they may say in their in their conference calls that, you know, oh, they haven't made a decision yet. And they'll talk again about it in a year or two. But, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone in the business that thinks Echelon's getting started up, restarted within the next few years. Um, even with a dramatic economic turnaround, they probably, you know, it, within a year, and that's, considered pretty unlikely. Um, I think they take quite a bit of time just to figure out what's going on. There's so much capacity that has to be absorbed in the market um, that, you know, it would it would stun me if they had anything, you know, any kind of concept about what they were going to do there within a few years, and a lot can go on in that time. My bet on Echelon is that when it finally does get built, that, that most of the structures that are on that site now are going to get torn down. And restarted. I just, sure. I just, I, I think it's going to be so far out that 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 the concept is going to totally change. Good. I, I think that project is, you know, <clears throat> it's just going to be on the back burner for the way, way, way into the foreseeable future. 
Um, all right. Well, station thing is pretty interesting. I mean, they're you know such the powerhouse in the locals market there. Um, and this has been sort of a, a plotting process, but um, you know it, it all it's starting to heat up a little bit, and uh, we'll of course continue to follow it. Um, I want to segue to another Las Vegas project. Um, just going down the list here, which is City Center. Um, you know, City Center had uh, its opening throughout the month of December. We're now uh, April first today, so we've. Uh, had some time. And Dave, you wrote a cover article for uh, Vegas 7, which for those that don't know, is a new local weekly magazine newspaper um, in uh, in Las Vegas. You go check it out. It's um, uh, I've been reading and I, I definitely recommend it if you uh, like to absorb all that stuff. But Dave, you've got a cover story on City Center's first 100 days and you got to talk to the principals after they had a little time to settle in. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah. Basically, it's just supposed to be a snapshot of where um, ARIA and City Center are after 100 days. And, you know, really, I think the bulk of the article is actually talking to the to three of the big people involved, which were Jim Murren, the CEO of MGM Mirage, Bobby Baldwin, the president of City Center, and Bill McBeth, the president of ARIA. And a lot of it was responding to things that people have been saying about city center and ARIA, problems with the customer service, things like that, and putting the questions to the big three there and seeing what they said. So that's pretty much the article in a nutshell. One of the things I liked about it was that it was very um, – about your story, I mean, was it, it was very uh, specific. It wasn't like the um, 10,000-foot view of that we see in most of these – pieces about uh, about city center it was very specific like hey i heard that the, that there were no forks at the buffet what are you doing about that it was you know it was very very specific line by sort of almost line by line addressing uh, some of the most common complaints and issues and getting some reaction uh yeah. which personally was interesting for me yeah you know i wanted to do something there's been so much written about city center i wanted to do something that hadn't been done and really, I think that was getting, you know, asking these questions to those guys and getting their answers and finding out what's going on with it. You know, one thing that I think we lose sight of, and probably this probably this came out more in my interviews with Bobby Baldwin and uh, Bill McBeth, is that these guys have a, like, a ton of experience in the gaming industry and really know what they're doing. So if there's problems, it's not like some bloggers or whoever making it seem like, well, this is just what happens when a big company gets involved in gaming it. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, Benny Binion was running everything again? It's like, well, no, actually, these guys have spent longer in the market than Benny Binion did when he opened his first casino here, and they really know it, you know, especially a guy like Bill McBeth, who's from Vegas, grew up in Vegas, went to UNLV, got a degree there, and went right into the business working for Michael Gaughan and then Steve Wynn, and now is the president of, of ARIA. You know, I think these are folks who really know the business. Yeah, well, I would recommend anyone that hasn't heard it already to listen to the podcast you posted of your interview with him because um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was great. It's always great to hear uh, an operator talk about their business and you know how they work and what they do. But it was, uh, you know, I think very interesting um, to really get sort of his day day to day, how how what he does with his time, and you know some of the specific issues that they have come up and how they're dealing with them. Um, you know, I, one of the things that we harped on them big time for here on this show and on the website and everything else is the cell phone coverage. Um, I haven't been back since January, but our, but um, from everything that I hear, it is it's massively improved. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I can say for a fact AT&T is great throughout the whole hotel from, from what I hear Verizon is too. Right. So, I mean, it's only fair to mention that given that we give them such a hard time and jumped up and down about that. So I guess what I would ask is this. I, I'm really curious to see, because, you know, going into City Center, there was a lot of hyperbole, like City Center is going to save the world. City Center is going to save Las Vegas. Um, City Center is going to save Harry Reid's reelection campaign. Um, how how are people feeling about City Center now? It, and I guess I want to pose that on three levels. How how does management feel about City Center? Are they cautiously optimistic? Are they are they um, just excited every day? I mean, what's the sense that you've got about as far as how these guys feel about this project at this point? Well, you know, obviously they're talking to somebody. They're talking to me in the capacity of a journalist. It's not like we're working across the hall from each other and talking to the water cooler there. But they, you know, they maintain their optimism and their faith in it, and it's almost a religious faith in the project and the people involved. You know, a lot of times I heard about how great the team was and how great the employees are and, you know, bringing all these people together. And, you know, it's almost almost in mystical terms. But they're, you know, underlying that, there really is a faith that this is going to be the template for whatever happens in Vegas in the next decade or so. You know, that that's what they told me. I, I, I read the seven piece that um, Dave wrote, and I really liked it. I think one of the things he captures is that that these guys, both of them, you know, who learned at the uh, elbow of Steve Wynn, um, it, they both have that sense of, you know, I mean, it's not just nuts and bolts business. There is something a little bit different about this and opening a property and and the importance of you know the people who work for you, and you can you can really tell from some of their answers that they are not, you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. There, um, they're not, you know, everyone at MGM Mirage is not a win disciple, but these guys, you know, I mean, they may not be pure win disciples, but they're pretty darn close. I thought it was a really good, I thought it was a really good piece, and um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, if that view is going to end up triumphing at MGM Mirage, but I thought it was pretty, pretty uh, interesting. Thank you. I'm also, I'm also curious to see, Chuck, I mean, I know you follow this and I do too, especially as I watch these reviews come in that people are submitting. Um, what is your, what's your feeling? Are, do you feel like there's been an uptick in satisfaction with Aria? Um, can you track it at that granular of a level in terms of time? Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think I can track it at that degree of level. I'm not even sure if there's an uptick. I think there was a, a lot of initial curiosity, as expected, uh, among people who are uh, who follow this thing a lot. Regular, regular Vegas visitors, people who go once a month, once every two months, and the majority of everybody who's come there and returned to me with reviews or ideas or. or uh, you know their own opinion about the thing. You know, and I'm grossly generalizing, but uh, it seemed like the the initial flood was that people didn't really they appreciated the construction of the place, but didn't necessarily feel all that at home there, uh, which is which is kind of important for a guest experience. Uh, and this is this is kind of you know it's still sort of playing itself out. I think as they they build the place and they're building uh, uh, brand awareness and getting all the employees and everything really 
together and humming like an operation, uh, people seem to be getting a little bit more satisfied. There's a little bit less headache, a little less uh, uh, broken technology, uh, confusion on, on the on the part of staff. But but I think the main thing, which uh, the main theme I'm seeing is that I people don't feel exactly comfortable in the casino. I, I don't know if the numbers will prove this when when the numbers uh, come out in a, uh, whatever, a few weeks or so, but uh, that seems to be the general kind of consensus. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know, Dave, you even specifically mentioned the light situation in the casino, and I think they admitted that it's darker than they really are comfortable with, which is ironic given that some of the pre-opening marketing was very much based around, you know, you've never seen light like this in a casino. <laughs> <laughs> which is, I don't know which casino that person toured, but it wasn't the one I've been to. Um, it's just interesting to see that, that they're obviously adjusting. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing about the casino business, especially quarter to quarter, you know, one, two, three, four, five big players can swing it and completely mask underlying problems or exacerbate a problem for a well-running shop. So the first quarter will be interesting, but it may not be – all that illuminating in terms of its long-term performance. Um, you know, the other thing that was – oh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, yeah that's the thing about, about the, the place, and this is something I didn't want to put in the story because I don't really have any documentation. It's just kind of anecdotal observation and stuff I've heard from people. You know, generally, they've been very strong with the high-end play. You know, they've had a lot of really big high rollers in there, but, you know, you can see that the occupancy isn't where it should be. Um, earlier this week, I was touring some people around. I've toured lots of people around there. Uh, one o'clock, and there was no line at all at the buffet, which isn't, to me, is not a real strong indicator that there's any kind of, that, that you've got a right. big occupancy. You know, compare that to Bellagio at one right. o'clock. That buffet couldn't be more out of the way. That is like, I mean, you know, like when it's not too far out of the main casino on that pathway to the country club, Bellagio, you know, right off the casino, maybe not the most frequented part of the casino, but, you know, it's it's right there. Um, among the high-end casinos, that, that certainly has the most out-of-the-way buffet. Yeah, so like little things like that, you know, it seems like obviously, yeah, they need to get the occupancy up. That's something that Bobby Baldwin talked about. He was very optimistic that they would, but there was this acknowledgement that, yeah, it's not where it is. We thought the prices, you know, we thought the rates would be higher than Bellagio. That's not what the market is saying right now, and hopefully it'll change. Yeah. Um, one thing that's been interesting is over the past few weeks, we've heard some response from some of their competitors. Specifically, I'm thinking about interviews I've heard with both Elaine Wynn and um, Roger Thomas, who is um, head of interior design at Wynn. You know, of course, they're professionals and they're very careful not to criticize um, their competitors, especially, you know, these are friends for a lot of these people. These are people that have worked with them in their previous enterprise. So it's, it's um, they're very careful to be very uh, very tactful in their comments, but I think in both of those interviews, it was clear that they're not convinced that they went the right direction in terms of um, pleasing the customer. And uh, you know, these you know, of course, the wins uh, and their organization don't have a monopoly on doing things right in the casino industry, uh, and it very well may be that. Um, city centers 
seeds uh, in spite of or just as an alternative to um, what they're doing down the street. But it is, it is interesting to hear some of that feedback and um, and get impressions from people that live and breathe this stuff every single day. I think I think. And, and you're absolutely right, Hunter. Um, whether it's, it was uh, Roger or Elaine, and certainly Steve Wynn has talked about it a little that they have, and and you know Wynn working with, um, you know the 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 with Derider Butler working with Roger um, on their design sensibility, their architectural sensibility. You know, it's clearly different um, from Bellagio to Wynn to Encore. Um, and than than city center is um, there is a different um, a different sensibility um, you know the city center g- g- collected a a group of high end very respected architects people who have not designed or worked in the casino business before and I think you know we've talked about this before sort of the 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 gambling business people the people who've grown up in and around casinos watch them evolve from, you know, um, you know, sawdust joints to carpet joints to more and more luxurious places. And then people who are used to a more urban, sophisticated style of building. Certainly the latter has influenced city center far more than the properties that, that Wynn has created. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and we've said this long ago, I think all of us probably were in agreement even two years ago when we talked about the as city center was growing, that it will be interesting to see if the gambling public, even the high-end gambling public, if they are the same as the kind of people who jet set around the world staying at Four Seasons properties or even nicer places. Um, you know, I'm not so sure that that it is, and it, it will take time. Now that, you know, the city center folks did have Baldwin, did have Macbeth, did have some people who know what touches to take inside the property. But there's, you know, there are elements that are just so much different than the sense of, you know, sort of um, pretty, you know, the sense of luxury that you get in the wind properties. Um, I'm, you know, so I, I think it will take time. Um, but just even looking at those properties during the day, looking at them at night, city center are much more urban, much more, um, you know, uh, cosmopolitan feel no pun intended, than, um, than obviously Bellagio, but even, even when in its sister property, Encore. I, you know, the impression that I got was that even with some of the criticism, I haven't heard anybody saying anything bad about how these buildings look from the outside. I think, uh, I, think I could speak probably for everybody here, but uh, you know, I'll speak for myself. They're just from the exterior, they're stunning. Uh, and when I do have issues, they're usually with you know something on the inside. They're the the building. Well, they look stunning, but do they look like casinos? And that's the thing that I'm not sure that whether that has a that has a visceral effect on people. You know, if you looked, if you just you know like stood on the on the west side of the strip, um, let's say somewhere around um, you know closer to the strip than New Orleans, but and looked at looked at the city center compound, and you might be able to see a little of Cosmopolitan, but probably not. If you look at city center from the back and just limited your field of vision to city center, you could easily see that stretch of buildings in almost any city in the country. It would look very nice and modern, but they don't jump out at you as being 
casino-type properties like those we're used to on the Strip. I'm not saying that's sure. good or bad. I just think, you know, when you expand your field field of vision away from that, you know, you have a pyramid and a crazy-colored turreted castle and, you know, these other sort of nutty designs that, you know, I mean, they, they're they they're so obviously out of place next to each other that they can't be anything other than crazy casinos. Um, and I'm not sure what the public reaction is to that. I, I love the look of the buildings themselves. I just think that, you know, taken together, they look more, you know, more like sophisticated, modern, urban architecture, maybe than they do look like the casino buildings I'm used to looking at. No, that's a good point. You know, there's, you just said you were talking. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, um, there's a real fundamental issue that I've picked up on a couple of times from walking around, which is the fact that it's supposed to be this more urban, have more of an urban sensibility and all that. And it really doesn't. You know, you've got a condo hotel, a hotel, a casino resort, a another condo hotel and condos and a shopping mall, basically. And I think the issue is that you don't have that kind of urban, seamless urban experience that you do in downtown Manhattan. You know, there's not there's just not a lot of street level attractions, especially if you're walking along the strip. Pretty much the only thing that I can see that's really beckoning to you is the patisserie at Mandarin Oriental, which is not priced for people just casually walking down the strip. It's eight eight bucks for a cup of gelato. So I think there's there's some issues there where if you're going to say, well, we want this to be more walkable, we want to pull people in from the urban grid around it, you've got to kind of base it off of who's walking by, and you know why you're gonna, you know, why do you want them to come there, and what what are they going to be doing there? So I think that's that's really kind of a fundamental existential issue that they're going to have to confront either one way or another. Either it's okay, no, we don't want, you know, we don't want it to be part of the surrounding area. We don't want to have anything to, to do with Hawaiian marketplace across the street or, you know, the stuff that's north and south on the Strip, or they're going to have to change the the product mix at the ground level there. Right. Or the new giant billboard that Hawaii, that Planet Hollywood put up as, the, as you do the drive from uh, um, west to east exiting the property, that um, the Harmon Drive. I mean, they have this huge billboard facing them. I, I think, I think, Dave, you're you're absolutely right. I think the density of the development of the property, how intensely they use that land, um, 55 or 60 acres or whatever it was, I'm sure there's more of the footprint used for high-rise or um, abbreviated high-rise in the case of the Harmon construction, um, and then on any other similarly sized footprint in town, you know, maybe the flamingo because they added tower after tower and, you know, or, or more towers to, um, the first big tower as they got rid of a low flung places. But that intensely developed footprint is something that doesn't look, it's just atypical for Las Vegas. You know, you look at when, um, you know, they have a mountain, they have a golf course, you know, he had the land that he eventually put Encore on. Um, you know, there are two pretty big towers and a very, very big, you know, uh, casino-level um, floor space. But, you know, the, the property itself from the street looks relatively uncluttered or unfilled. Yeah, and I think that if, you know, just looking at it from 
kind of, I don't know what you would call it, but just looking at the ground level, something really daring that you, they could have done would be basically flipping crystals inside out and having all that stuff be on the street or in buildings, you know, maybe do more mid-rise buildings, but have them have a mix of hotel or condo with shops on the ground floor. You know, I don't know, but it seems that it, it still is a collection of what are really great looking architectural buildings and really, you know, even if, you know, really, um, I don't know, exquisitely designed buildings, but it seems like it's still this collection of things that are basically self-contained and, you know, it right. doesn't really get that foot traffic. You know, plus it's really hard to get – it's kind of – it's a really long walk to get to Aria from the Strip if you're walking. Yes. Yes, it is. I wonder how long it will seem in Mar in, in uh, July and August. Yeah. Well, you know, of course it's only going to be worse, right? I mean, it's going to be uh, pretty intense. I mean, you know, theoretically you can just walk through the crystals and it's air-conditioned. But, um, yeah, it uh, – you know, some of those things may not translate to a Las Vegas Strip. Uh, environment and in the ways that they sounded good on paper. I have a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Chuck. You know, he put so much into that article, but I'm positive that there's a lot he didn't put in. Did you ever get any sense from the uh, the three brothers that they felt something was a failure or that something wasn't right? Like, seriously, they had made a mistake. So, you know, they were a little bit worried or a little concerned or, uh, you know, they didn't put a full – there was a lot of uh, admitting, yeah, this is wrong and we're fixing it. Yeah, this is wrong and we're fixing it. But did you ever get any sense that – any sense that they had, like, an oh, shit moment? No. And, you know, to some extent, I think that might be an issue. One of the questions I asked Jim Murren, you know, I said, obviously, as, a, as city center is progressing, the market changed. You know, if you – go, you know, even from, let's say, the second quarter of 2008, it should have been really obvious that something was wrong with the economy and didn't know when it was going to be fixed. And I asked him, did you change the scale of the project because of that? Did you, what kind of adjustments, adjustments did you make? And he basically said, well, we, actually, hang on a second. I'm going to punch up my notes here. So if you can bear with me for yeah. a second, I will tell you exactly what he told me as I've transcribed it. Okay. Okay. Hang on a second. Word is opening. <laughs> okay. Feel free to cut uh, all this out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, basically, he said he had to be careful not to change too much. They would have lost themselves. They, he decided they wouldn't build in phases. How can you possibly do that? It just doesn't work. He wouldn't compromise on the quality of the materials. This is going to stand the test of time. The quality couldn't be compromised. The scope might be they changed certain venues within the complex. They changed the pricing of the food and beverage. They changed menu items to be more responsive. They looked at hours. They looked at ways to conserve energy, costs. They looked at operational changes. But design and construction changes were almost non-existent. And he said it, he they he believed all the way through if we could finish on time and with quality we'd be okay. You know, it's one thing that stands out from what you just said was that they that he basically out of hand rejected the idea of building things in phases, mm -hmm. saying it doesn't work. But there's plenty of it, plenty of examples of phased building working just fine. I'm not sure why he would say that. 
Yeah, you know, it does. And again, maybe, you know, he's been immersed in this project for the last six years. So obviously he has access to a lot of information about the operations that we don't. But yeah, that that is a pretty important question. Isn't this just a, a, a you know a small piece of definition because they are building in faith, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's that too, which Basically, really yeah. hasn't been picked up. Yeah. 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 Harmon's not. Yeah. Nobody even has a clue when Harmon's going to open. <laughs> well, I want to talk about Harmon because. You know, this week we or last week we saw Perini basically say, "Hey, um, we're not all that happy with, uh, you know, getting paid. We want. I think they're suing for what, like 490 million dollars, and um, there's, you know, some back and forth about whether it's going to go in front of a judge and jury or whether it's going to go arbitration. Um, but given the significant problems with construction during City Center, I mean." Uh, uh, quite a few construction-related deaths, which I'm sure aren't part of the lawsuit, but are still notable and important. Um, but the issue with the Harmon and the structural flaws that forced them to, you know, stunt the building, are, is City Center going to be, um, you know, just this uh, this cesspool of lawsuits for years and years and years? I mean, there was uh, the Venetian was notorious for this after it opened, uh, and I, I believe at this point everything is finally settled, um, you know, a good 10 years and change plus it's been open. But, um, you know, is this going to be ongoing? I mean, it seems like a big project, uh, a lot of money that there's potential for these kinds of legal issues to kind of stretch on and on. Yeah, which is why one reason why I didn't even touch this in the piece, because I knew I couldn't get any real comment because of ongoing litigation. So, I, you know, Given a limited word count, I just wanted to address the things that I knew I could I could address. It's always frustrating to have to fit things into uh, however many words they give you when you get all. Kinds of yeah. Uh, well, you know, City Center is uh, an ongoing saga. Obviously, it's not going anywhere. Um, it uh, it continues to evolve in terms of um, people's uh, experiences and. Um, I, you know, I uh, will of course continue to watch it. I, my next trip will not be to stay at a city center property. Um, I will give it a few more months before I go back and try and resample. But you know, for those that are interested to going in going to Las Vegas, you can still get some incredibly awesome deals at Aria because they are still having uh, problems filling some of their rooms some weekends and definitely some weekdays. So if you're looking for a good deal. And you don't mind kind of uh, have, having potentially some um, rough edges. I mean, you know, maybe maybe your stay will be perfect. But um, no, you know, if knowing that it's still relatively new, uh, you might be able to get a, get a great deal. So it's just something to keep in mind if you're interested. If you don't need to turn the lights or the TV set on, right. you'll have you a bring a flashlight. <laughs> bring a flashlight, and you'll be totally set. Um, Dave, I wanted to quickly – we're going kind of long because we yabbered on about the first two topics. But I wanted to quickly talk about something in Atlantic City, which I am honest, I have not really been following at all, which is this concept of mini casinos. What are these, and what's the story there? Okay. This is kind of – and I can say this as an Atlantic City native, you know, somebody whose family is three generations going back there. This is just a typical Atlantic City response to the problem where, hey, we're getting less investment in the city. It's not, very, it's not an attractive place for people to build casinos right now because of competition, because of regulatory issues. Well, gee, what can we do? 
huh, instead of, instead of mandating that people build 500-room casinos, we're, we'll say they can build a 200-room casino but have a tiny casino floor, like a 20,000-square-foot casino floor, which would have about 500 table games and 20, 500 slot machines and 24 table games, which, you know, I ran the numbers in my blog, and really that would probably – earn about $68 million in gross gaming revenues a year and maybe $88 million or so in total gaming revenues, in total revenues for food and beverage and hotel and everything. So, you know, um, folks connected with Hard Rock said, hey, we're going to build a $300 million new resort if these rules are approved, which to me, I don't see how you can do that when you're just going to make $88 million a year in gross revenues before you take, take everything out. And I kind of ran those numbers, and basically you'd have almost nothing left to pay the interest, let alone retire that principal. So I, I just don't see how they work. It seems like a really bad idea. And kind of um, I've got a forthcoming piece in the business press where I said the closest thing in size to this is the Casino Royale on the Strip. Now, that's the closest thing in the market. And to Las Vegas's credit, with all the problems we've had in this city, nobody has said, well, the key to turning Las Vegas around is going to be to build four more Casino Royales, and that'll do it. Right. You know, that's pretty much what they're proposing. <laughs> and, so, and, and, I mentioned Casino Royale because it gives people a good idea of the scope that we're talking about. Yeah, and literally there's nothing this small downtown. I was looking for things this small on the market, and that was the closest thing. It's a little bit bigger than Casino Royale's Casino Floor, but there's nothing else even close to that. The thing is, there is a good Las Vegas comparison in that um, county and state law requires um, new casinos. In other words, they're not grandfathered in by virtue of being built long ago. Um, but grandfather, new casinos have to have a certain number of hotel rooms. They have to have 24-hour dining. They have to have you know, a, a certain amount, a, enough things that require a certain amount of investment. Um, they were worried about, um, you know, after the casino owners built all these hotel rooms, that other property owners would just come in and build a big box of slots and table games with no hotel rooms. But maybe because they didn't have to do that other investment, they could afford better comping, you know, for, for meals or something else or give people better paybacks on slots or table games if they built those just gambling-only places or places with limited amenities. So in Las Vegas, that's why they have those restrictions on the Strip. Um, and within Clark County, they have to have 200 rooms. So there's even restrictions for locals casinos in Clark County. Now, that's not true in the rest of the state. All those cow counties, you can have just a no-hotel-room casino, and that's just fine. But, you know, so the the idea is to protect the substantial investment of the existing casino owners, um, not to limit competition, but to just sort of protect those who've already invested. In Atlantic City, I mean, it, it makes sense that those existing casino owners would resist this kind of a change. Um, you know, they operated, they invested in and operate under those under those rules, and to have the rules change midstream um, certainly seems unfair to me from that perspective. And I agree with Dr. Dave that almost certainly it would have a very, very limited impact on the bottom line. I guess they're thinking that any growth in this environment where you have, you know, a stagnant revel and, you know, um, all these neighboring states, you know, encroaching on your business, um, any kind of, you know, growth seems 
better than none. But to me, um, I think it seems like a mistake that they ought to, you know, try and come up with some big picture ideas that will, you know, get people to come to Atlantic City as opposed to the neighboring casinos. I'm going to take hey, a little I'm, opinion. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly about the numbers. I haven't crunched them. But but the thought for me is if you get a boutique operator in there, they can put you know enough money into building a casino and a smaller boutique hotel. Maybe if they make it even a five or almost six star operation hotel, smaller smaller land space, smaller uh, investment, you know, charge top dollar. Uh, you know, you need to have a smaller casino, but they build on. On, on that, with the ways that revenue is generated now, i.e. clubs, you know, clubs, nightclubs, day clubs, really entertainment, you know, the way the Hard Rock does that as well. So then, then that provides, that makes it less of a you know, destination and more of an entertainment destination, which could be exactly what Atlantic City needs. Could be, but I think there's so many more problems they have to address first, like just the image of the city and perceptions about safety and perceptions about the city being run down, that I yeah. think this is such a, you know, such a minor, I don't know, you know, it, it would be good if you could get these boutique operators in, but I'm just not sure that with the market being what it is today, they could get that, they could justify building something that nice because they'll just say, hey, the return on investment isn't here. And, you know, I think maybe what you need is to have Basically, you need a Steve Wynn or someone like that to come in there who's got a big, big idea and is willing to gamble really big on it and hope they succeed. And I think then you'll exactly. see other people do it. Exactly. And I'd also like to say that Chuck, citing a six-star casino, you've been hanging around Macau too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only market where people call their casinos. Yeah. We're bigger than the biggest. We're six stars. Yeah. Well, actually. You know, they that would be something they could do if they could dredge out the uh, dock area there and have cruise ship to, cruise ships dock. That would add, you know, that would add another dimension. And you're getting into that kind of different customer service thing, the six star thing. So I think that's definitely something to explore. It would be great if somebody if they did do that. I think maybe this maybe probably the best hope for that happening would have been, would have been MGM Grand's development, you know, yeah. which would have had the different hotels. But yeah, but, I mean, I think they need that. To be honest, I, Atlantic City I, is in serious trouble, and they they know this. <laughs> I can picture a slew, you know, a, a neighborhood, a, a street corner of five or six smaller casinos with each of them have, like, nightclubs that are doing, you know, that are selling, you know, a bottle of, uh, a Methuselah-sized bottle of uh, Moet Chandon for 50000 bucks a pop, you know, so they're doing who knows, a million dollars a night or something, you know, to appeal to the younger folks who are going there to fist pump, you know, they're going there to, to, to ball and have a good time. You know, I, I think the concept here is what really is the problem. It's not the gaming that's really going to drive this, this economy. That's a part of it, but it's not the end of it. Well, true, definitely true. Because <laughs> they're definitely not cutting it as a gaming destination anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're definitely definitely in trouble. Just if you live before... in Philadelphia, oh, go ahead, Chuck. Go ahead. If you, I'm sorry, if you live in Philadelphia, right, and you have a choice, of, or you live in Cherry Hill, let's say, and then you have the choice of going to win in Philadelphia, 
or you know the Las Vegas Hilton, or I mean, I mean, sorry, the Atlantic City Hilton, the former Hilton, the Hilton. You know, what are you, where are you going to go? Oh yeah, you know, plus the fact you're basically, I think it's like thirty some dollars you're paying in gas and tolls just to get to Atlantic City. So you could get a decent entree at a really fancy restaurant for that. Right. I'd, yeah. I'd go to Hers- I'd go to Hershey and I'd go to <laughs> I'd go to Hershey and get a Jeroboam of chocolate milk. Oh, I would go to Trans Bethlehem because that's the best casino in that whole region. Yeah. Um, speaking of places that aren't doing very well, uh, before we go, I want to quickly touch on the Cal Neva up in North Lake Tahoe um, because the operation is uh, closed. Um, this actually, I've stayed at the Cal Neva before. Um, and granted, uh, I can't say I was all that impressed, but I think it's, um, you know, it closing has said something about that market, a market that is in, has, you know, has always been very vulnerable to, um, Indian gaming expansion and, and now the economy, um, you know, how, how, what I want to know is if you guys have an opinion, how bad is the Lake Tahoe market hurting and, uh, you know, how serious is it? My impression is it's hurting really bad. Uh, Bill Edington, my colleague up at Reno, said that when you adjust for inflation, basically it's the revenues there have fallen in half since since 1992. So that's it's really really hurting, and it's not just a recession problem or kind of an image problem. It's a bigger structural problem. You just have bigger Indian casinos in California that are taken away. Their, you know, their biggest demographic there, and I think that the area itself is transitioning to be more of a wildlife, you know, outdoor skiing, hiking, whatever destination. But which is great, but as far as gaming goes, there it's really on the decline. I don't see any way to turn that around. When I first went to Lake Tahoe, um, Caesar's Tahoe was, along with um, Harris Tahoe, very upscale. Excellent casinos, um, big time entertainment right along, you know, the same people who were playing Caesars in Vegas and the bigger casinos in Vegas, the DI and places like that at the time were playing in Tahoe. Um, Harris Tahoe remains a pretty nice property. Harvey's now owned by Harris. Also, you know, it's decent. It's down, it's more downscale, but the, but Caesars, um, when, when, Caesars was acquired by Harris. They had to sell the joint to the infamous Bill Young. Um, that property um, is now part of Tropicana Entertainment, owned by Carl Icahn. So, you know, you can, you know, you know, take a guess as to the direction that property's gone in the last few years. And then, even worse, the Horizon, which is like one of Bill Young's last two properties in the state, along with the uh, the uh, property on uh, on Flamingo. Um, that name that I can't pronounce. West End Casarina. Yeah, Casu Arena. Exactly. <laughs> Which is one of the most stupidly run casinos in the entire world, if you ever take a walk. Maxim. Place. Yeah, yeah, the former Maxim site. They invested, I think they invested more than $100 million bucks in fixing that they place. They tore the building down to like the studs and rebuilt it. I mean, it was... And they spent so much money and... and you know, now granted, they probably get a lot of people through there paying insanely high rates because they're on the the Westin, um, you know, frequent visitor plan or whatever. But but the prop, but in Lake Tahoe, the Horizon, 
they gave up almost all of their gaming rights. They only have like um, a few, I think they have like a few slots and no table games or something ridiculous like that. So, and, and, uh, and of course, Harrah's closed. It's, you know, a little budget property bills named after Bill Hera. Um, right. So, you know, the, the, the place has really, really shrunk. Now you're talking Cal Neva. Um, right. Cal Neva's up at the North shore, which has always been a, a much, a much more, um, a, a much, you know, smaller locale for gaming. And, uh, you know, there just isn't enough business there year round. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's really a shame because that, that, you know, the North Tahoe market was a really awesome place. Um, you know, when I first went there almost 30 years ago, and I guess before that, um, a, a pretty darn cool place in the summer, you have the incredible scenery in the lake in the winter, you have the ski scene, um, you know, which is, you know, which is pretty cool also. So, you know, it's just a shame that, you know, gaming is sort of, you know, diminished in, in, in that market. But Dave is right. It really has. Um, and it's not like Reno has picked it up. I guess, you know, you'd say that Northern California tribal gaming um, has uh, has had the biggest impact up there. And, and a lack of, you know, frankly, a lack of new investment that nobody's put, a, you know, put much of any money into uh, into that market at all. Well, I, I was actually just in Lake Tahoe a few, about a month ago for a vacation, uh, not staying in a casino, but, um, you know, we drove from Southern California, so I passed through with all the signs, drove through Sacramento. There was definitely a huge advertising push for Thunder Valley um, for folks that would ordinarily be going into Lake Tahoe. Um, we were staying on the east side of the lake, but I, I took a little, a few hours out of my day to go down to South Lake Tahoe and walk through the casinos. And this was a Saturday afternoon. Um, they were so dead, I could have, you know, fired a cannon through there and not hit anyone. I mean, it was unbelievable, except for Harris, which actually had some living souls in it. It was sad. I mean, I, my notes from my walking through was, no one is here. No one is here. I mean, it was it was just empty. It was very sad. This is early February, too. You know, this Yeah, that's like prime ski season. Absolutely. Now, I went there. I was there for the first time. I think it was 1981. I had just turned 21. And I think Bill Cosby was playing at Harrah's. And, and I, I forget, somebody decent was at Caesars. And I remember thinking, you know, this is like – you know, sort of a nice alternative to, you know, Vegas. And I, and I thought I should come back here in the summer when it's so baking hot in Vegas. Um, but, you know, it just is, it is really deteriorated. We had our um, state press convention in Tahoe three or four years ago. And, uh, you know, we were a group, I guess it's a group of a couple hundred people. And, you know, you, you'd, you'd think that um, it was, you know, like the, you know, Comdex in Las Vegas. I mean, you know, every, everyone in town is like, knows that there's like 200 stupid reporters in town. I mean, it's just, you know, it's really uh, gone downhill. It's too bad. I mean, it's such a beautiful spot. And you think that you automatically, you combine, you know, a beautiful location with gambling. That's an automatic win. You know, people talk about Hawaii, like, oh, if they ever get gambling, it's just going to kill Las Vegas. I don't know. You know, nothing is guaranteed. You never know how something's going to work out. Well, I think there are some places I know when when um, the idea of um, uh, Steve Wynn once um, was floated as the as a possible operator of a tribal tribal casino 
um, in the uh, town in Orange County where Knott's Berry Farm is. And uh, I talked to him about that, and he was saying, you know, well, he's not really going to push for it, but he might be interested if someone actually got the rights to do it. But he was telling me that, you know, there are a couple places in the United States that would be slam dunk positive for commercial commercial gaming, commercial resort gaming. And, and uh, coastal Florida, particularly in the greater Miami area, maybe in the uh, greater Tampa Bay area, and certainly in Southern California, um, whether it's Orange County or Los Angeles, if you could actually, you know, get the clearances and not have too much, you know, too much competition, those places would be, you know, slam dunks. But you're right. There is no, it doesn't seem like there's too many sure things left. Um, and, and, and I guess it's, it's hard to imagine much, much could be better than Macau. All right. We're going to leave it there. We've gone over. Um, that's a little gift to you people that were waiting for a new episode. You get your extra 20 minutes today. Um, I want to say uh, thank you to everybody for being here. Um, I'm going to go around the table, and you can tell people where they can find you. So, Dr. Dave, we'll start with you. Where can people track you down? Uh, com and gaming.unlv.edu. Excellent. Mr. Jeff Simpson, we are all waiting for you to emerge massive new project of epic proportions. But until then, <laughs> until then, email me at SimpsonLasVegas at yahoo.com. Excellent. Uh, Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at LasVegasVisor.com. <laughs> Excellent. Um, if you are interested in a Las Vegas guide to your iPhone or your iPad, you can visit um, VegasMateForIPhone.com and get all the information. Um, or you can visit RateVegas.com slash blog and find out about winning an iPad, and I will put that information in the show notes. Thank you, everyone, and have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.